In the early days, the feedback was very stark. It was like one side or the other. It was, I would absolutely never use this tool for, for these reasons, or I love it. And I can't imagine a world where, I, where I'm not using it. Customers and potential customers landed on one side or the other. And so on the ones that loved it, we knew we were on a path. We were building something that, that made sense. And, and so we, we kind of had like a roadmap, but that roadmap didn't really change that much based on customers really loving it. Sure, we added some features here and there based on power users wanting certain things, but I wouldn't say that actually had the biggest impact. The biggest impact were all the customers that said, oh, we will never use this in a thousand years. I'm Brian Valunga, CEO of Doppler. This is Code Story, the podcast bringing you interviews with tech visionaries who share in the critical moments of what it takes to change an industry and build and lead a team that has your back. I'm your host, Noah Laphart, and today, how Brian Vallelunga created the best way for your platform to keep secrets in lockstep across environments. All this and more on Code Story. Brian Vallelunga loves to build things, products, companies, or silly things on the side. In elementary school, he was asked by one of his friends, why can't you put a movie on your phone? This got Brian's mind racing, and he went home, ripped a movie into the specific format for his flip phone, and shared it immediately with his friend. He competed in science fairs, even at the state level. In one of the projects, he built a craft that was lighter than a fingernail and flew without wings or engines. Brian led a portion of the engineering team at Uber after inserting himself as an intern into the right meanings, which awarded him interesting projects. At the same time, he was building a crypto marketplace on the side, but struggled to get it launched. After taking a trip to reset, his mind kept coming back to a problem he faced while attempting to launch the marketplace, and it was surrounding managing environment variables and secrets. And his community of developer friends confirmed the need. This is the creation story of Doppler. Doppler is a universal secrets platform. And in essence, we're kind of like GitHub for secrets. You can think about any application, software application, having three main components. There is the code, uh, the compute power, and secrets. We have a lot of great tools today for managing code, GitHub, GitLab, uh, Bitbucket, if you're into that. Um, We have amazing compute uh, such as AWS, GCP, and newer clouds like Vercel and Nellify. And then we don't really have anything for secrets. And secrets kind of are what you'd use to configure applications. That could be an API key to talk to Stripe if you're doing payment processing, or a Twilio API key if you're sending text messages, or a database URL um, if you're talking to a database. Uh, maybe even a port variable to configure what port your application should listen on. And all that stuff should not belong in code. It should belong in uh, what we typically call a secrets manager. And Doppler is a really, really developer-friendly way of, uh, of managing and storing those secrets um, across all your projects, infrastructure, cloud devices, and developers. It all actually started at Uber. I was at Uber, and I started out as an intern. Kind of had a little bit of a crazy career path. I, um, I kind of took the Chris Saka approach of, of uh, working at a company, which is if there's a meeting that you really shouldn't be in that has execs in it, and they basically don't lock the door, just jump in. And so I, I went into all these meetings with the execs and, and just like sat in the back and kind of listened. And eventually uh, they started throwing me projects as an intern. And I got on all these really, really cool projects and eventually dropped out of school and went full time at Uber, eventually leading a, a portion of the, the safety team. 
And while I was doing all that, in, in my uh, free time, I was working on a side project uh, that was a crypto machine learning marketplace. It, it was not it was not as glamorous as you'd imagine. It was actually a really uphill battle. I, I honestly felt like uh, for every uh, foot that I, I, I was able to move forward, I slipped five feet back from exhaustion. It was just really, really hard to get the thing off the ground. And at one point, I'm, I'm like almost at my breaking point. I decide to, to go and take a trip to Mexico to just take a break from it all. I'm sitting in this hot tub and I'm thinking about it. I'm just realizing that no matter what I do, I'm not going to be able to get this marketplace off the ground. And so I started looking at all the problems that I'd faced while running this marketplace. And managing environment variables and secrets just kept popping up in all these weird, interesting ways. It wasn't like one problem. It was like five to seven problems that were all coming from one root problem. And so after I come back from Mexico, I go to this uh, founder dinner that Stripe posts. And I go around and I ask all these developers, are you having trouble managing secrets too? And basically what I was trying to probe is, am I, am I a crappy developer or is the world broken? You tell me. 50 to 60% of them said that they had the same problems I did. And one woman in particular comes running up to me. I thought she was going to trample me. And she, she kind of screams a little bit loudly. She's like, I've had three outages this week. Have me a solution by Sunday. That kind of got me really excited and interested, and I started looking at all the companies in the space and, and all the other problems that people were facing. And what I heard across the board was that everyone was struggling. Small companies were struggling, big companies were spending lots and lots of money, half a million to five million a year on this, and still struggling. And the root problem was that none of the tools were made for developers. These tools ended up being built for security people, but uh, the security or DevOps person will be like three people in a company or five people in a company, but they'll, they'll then force it on like a thousand developers. And these developers would basically say, hell no, and then avoid using the tool. And so the big insight that, that I had was like, let's just make this for developers and we'll meet all the needs of security and compliance, but it's really going to be tailored at the end day for that, that developer. And that was the approach we took. We built the first version in three weeks and the fourth week we got, I think like two or three customers through what I call Chipotle sales. From then we were off to the races and we raised a, a seed round from Sequoia, um, another round from Google. And now we're, I think we're, we just hit or we're about to hit 13,000 companies using Doppler. Well, tell me about the MVP. Tell me about that first product you built. How long did it take you to build? And what sort of tools did you use to bring it to life? Well, the MVP was was really quick. We it was probably some of the worst code I ever wrote. Honestly, nobody should have trusted us with their with their secrets back then. <laughs> um, it was just absolutely terrible. But it was written in CoffeeScript at the time, uh, which is now practically a dev language. It's kind of like a mix between Python and JavaScript. It, we do not use it at all in our code base now. We, we like actually our first engineering hire, he negotiated our, uh, the offer letter. So like we gave him an offer letter and he then he negotiated it and he added a term into the offer letter that basically said we'd rip out all CoffeeScript with it, I think within four months. <laughs> but yeah, we, we built it in, um, it was a mix of CoffeeScript, JavaScript and something called EJS, which is uh, like a viewing engine before React existed. Um, or maybe it did react existed, but I didn't know about it at the time. And just a very simple Postgres database, like very, very simple application. And the core thing was just like, let's just make this easy and fun to use. So, you know, with any MVP, you've got to make certain decisions and trade-offs, right? CoffeeScript obviously was one. The terms of the developers ripping out CoffeeScript may have been another one. But, you know, around tech debt or feature cut or things like that, tell me about some of those that you had to really consider and really you know, make trade-offs with and how you coped with those decisions. I think there was one in particular that was like really, really important to us. It was right when we were in the middle of Y Combinator. And I think we had gone from like five or six companies using us to about 10. And I started getting nightmares at night that we were going to get hacked and someone would steal all of our customer secrets. 
quite honestly, back in the day, we were like, in, we were we weren't even encrypting them. They were just like the secrets were literally in plain text. Like again, they should not have been using this tool. After a couple, let's say a couple days of deliberation, uh, when you want to store secrets, there's a lot of things you need to do to do it right. And I think we were just smart enough at the time to realize that it's not just as simple as encrypting it and being done. And that would take a lot of focus away from building the core thing, which is what really matters. Like I kind of think about it as like there's like uh, a couple layers to Doppler. There is storage, there's management, and there's automation. And storage has been done forever. Like we've had encrypted storage for a very long time. It's not easy, but it's been done. And that's not where, where the value that we're driving to our customers is. It's in the management layer and the automation layer. The, the kind of like GitHub for secrets experience. The way I like to kind of think about it, like in another term, is like you have S S three and you have Dropbox, right? They both do storage of files, but like one is a completely different experience than the other. And so we chose to use something called VGS, very good security, as a way to securely store the secrets so that we could focus all of our efforts on what we thought uh, mattered more, which was the management and automation layer. And that was a really big decision we made. It was also a very expensive one. Uh, I think like at the time, the most expensive service we were paying for was probably rent. And that was a couple thousand dollars a month. And outside of that, like I think the, the, the most expensive tech service was like a, maybe a couple hundred bucks. And then we went to paying like VGS. I can't say the exact amount, but it was it was much, much higher than rent. I'll put it that way. And I think that served us really, really well. Today, we still use them, and, and maybe in some point we don't, but like I can't predict what the future will hold. But it, it gave us a lot of, uh, it basically gave us a whole bunch of time back that we could focus on the, on the things that really mattered. Um, but that was a really big trade off we made, and we spent a lot of time thinking about it. We spent a lot of time negotiating that contract. It was a really big decision for us. So from that point, right, you've got your MVP, you've made your trade off, you're using VGS, and, and you're focusing on your product. How did you progress it from there and how did you mature it? And I think to kind of wrap that in a box, how did you build your roadmap and decide, okay, this is the next most important thing to build? A lot of it was just listening very, very carefully to customers we lost. In the early days, it was very, the feedback was very stark. It was like one side or the other. It was, I would absolutely never use this tool for, for these reasons, or I love it. And I can't imagine a world where I, where I'm not using it. Customers and potential customers landed on one side or the other. And so on the ones that loved it, we knew we were on a path. We were building something that, that made sense. And, and so we, we kind of had like a roadmap, but that roadmap didn't really change that much based on customers really loving it. Sure, we added some features here and there based on power users wanting certain things, but I wouldn't say that actually had the biggest impact. The biggest impact were all the customers that said, oh, we will never use this in a thousand years. One of the big things we heard was that people did not like our SDKs. Unlike other services like Stripe, where it's okay to use an SDK, with us, the secrets have to be available before all the other code gets executed. So if we have an SDK, it doesn't work because we need to be able to provide the secrets to the application before everything else boots up. So we were like, okay, SDKs don't make sense for our product. And we decided to build a CLI, a command line tool that would then uh, basically fetch the secrets from Doppler and inject it into the customer application. But I didn't know how to write in Go, so I've, I kind of took, a, admittedly, even a lazy approach and built the first CLI in JavaScript. Well, now there is a dependency on JavaScript. And so even though you may a customer may be using Python or Ruby or something or Go, they still had to include 
the JavaScript runtime to be able to boot up their application, which was the second thing customers really didn't like once we moved to the CLI. And eventually we got to uh, the point where we were like, okay, we're really listening to our customers here. We hear them loud and clear. And we rebuilt the CLI again, but this time in Go as a custom executable that didn't have any dependencies. So it could run on Mac, Windows, Linux with no other uh, dependencies at all. That was really a turning point for us. The other big one that we heard was that customers didn't want Doppler in the hot path. Hot path basically means that if Doppler goes down, they go down. And so we built out integrations. And so we could, and you can think of Doppler almost like a hubs and spokes model, right? Doppler is your central source of truth for all your secrets. And then we push those secrets into all the relevant places. That could be Heroku, Vercel, Nellify, AWS, GCP, and so on. And when we started launching integrations, we just saw the numbers start climbing way faster than before. And that was, I would say, another big thing that impacted the roadmap where it was like, okay, building the CLI in Go makes a lot of sense. We're seeing a lot of great uh, customer feedback from there. We're earning a lot of trust from our customers. And then on the integration side, it was the same thing. We added a feature where people could request integrations and uh, we just saw a lot of integrations uh, requests, but the integration requests were, were very high overlapping. So people would ask for like, at the time, I don't think we had Vercel. And so we just saw a ton of requests for Vercel, a ton of requests for, for Nellify, a ton of requests for GitHub Actions. And so we built those three and then boom, the numbers went up even more. And so it's just like this very simple thing of like, okay, where are we seeing integration requests? Let's go build those integrations and then the numbers go up. And, and that was a nice little loop. We also just have a lot of people on support uh, or, or a lot of people ping us on support saying that they either love the product, but they're missing X feature, or it would be nice if we could do X. And so those kind of things we tried to build, but we really focused on the highest priority things first. And then we would, we call them paper cuts where it's not something we need to do ASAP because we're going to lose a customer over or it's breaking the platform or whatever, but it's something that users would greatly appreciate. Well, let's switch to team. So how did you go about building your team and what did you look for in those people to indicate that they were the winning horses to join you? What we've done at Doppler is very different than what most companies typically do. I saw this at Uber where uh, Uber would hire exceptionally good engineers and then they would hire what I'd call just like rest invest people, people who don't really care, they have no passion for it and they're just there to, to collect their paycheck. And the, the difference in output uh, between the two were just like astronomically different. The, the, the people that were very, very good and very, very passionate uh, really, really like outperformed. Um, they could do the work of three to five people. And uh, the people that didn't care were, I would say, low impact at best, like maybe even sometimes net negative. When I came to Doppler, there was, there was kind of like three fundamental beliefs. I want, I want people that are incredibly passionate about what we're working on and like, more specifically, they're probably passionate about different things than I'm, that I'm care about. So like, I deeply care about the user experience and I wanted someone who deeply cared about security. Now I care about security, but I, I'm not a security expert. There's, there's no way I'm knowledgeable and care enough about security uh, or care more about security than a security professional. I made sure that all of our hires were incredibly passionate, both about Doppler, but then also about a certain niche in software uh, engineering. We have an engineer that's very, very passionate about React, and they're doing our React migration right now. We have another engineer that's incredibly passionate about security, and guess what they focus on? Security. And so making sure people were super passionate was a really big thing for us. The other big one was ownership. We want to make sure that the people that we're, we're bringing on take on a really high degree of ownership, that they can run with projects end-to-end. Basically, you can say something like build X feature, and then they'll just go and run with it. And they'll figure out what the specs are, what uh, the edge cases are. They'll kind of just run with it end to end. As long as they understand what the root goal, the the, the feature is trying to accomplish, they can go uh, and run with it. 
When you have people that have high ownership and high passion, and they're also really, really good in their craft, you set yourself up in a scenario where you can learn from them and you can accomplish far more than you actually think you can. We get this actually all the time when you talk to our customers. They'll be like, oh, yeah, you're probably like a 30-person engineering team. And we'll be like, no, we're really like an eight-person engineering team. Um, and back in the day, uh, even like just a year ago, we were a three-person engineering team, and people thought we were like a 20-person engineering team because we just made we were incredibly strict about the first couple hires. Even today, we're actually very, very strict. For any given role, we probably do something like 10 to 15 on-sites, somewhere in that range, I would say, uh, before we actually, uh, maybe like eight to 10 on-sites before we actually uh, hire that person, especially if it's the first time we're hiring for that role. Um, so we're incredibly selective. Eight to 10 on-sites, that's a lot. That's a lot. What was included in those on-sites? It depends on the role, but for engineering, we had a very specific thought process of as much as we are interviewing them, they're interviewing us. And so we made sure that we were selling at all points of the interview and also that they were doing things that that made them want to work at Doppler. So for example, we don't do these tricky algorithm interviews or we put you in a room where like how many marbles can fit in a, a school bus or something like that. And we don't ask you to do like a 20 minute coding exam just to see if you can write a for loop. But instead what we do is our interview is actually quite simple, but I think it's quite powerful. We do two phone screens. Both phone screens are conversations. You haven't written a line of code until you've gone to the onsite. But during those phone screens, we are, we are able to gauge if you're how senior of an engineer you are based on the questions that we're asking and how deep we're diving into those uh, responses. And then on the onsite, we give them about four hours to, to work on a project. And this project would be typically something that you'd work on at Doppler. It's not meant to be a brain teaser. It's actually meant to be like literally something you could ship. And I think for our, our earliest engineers, they actually ship what they built into production. It's, it's really meant to give you a, a good understanding of what it's like to work at Doppler, what it's like uh, both from the project level, from uh, the people level of like your coworkers and what it's like to, to ask questions. And then you present that and then we, we do something where we grill you and we make you defend your points. And, and that's really important. We want engineers that are opinionated. And so like if, if we say, hey, why did you pick this database? You should have a good reason why you picked a database because databases are incredibly important. Saying something along the lines of like, oh, I picked it because that's what I'm most familiar with doesn't fly with us. We want to know, oh, you picked a, a NoSQL database or a SQL database for a very, very specific reason that is tailored to, to that project. On the flip side, right afterwards, we uh, we do some one-on-ones, and uh, at the very end, we used to call it the Grill Us session. Now we call it the Ask Us Anything session. But basically, it's their chance to grill us back, literally anything. That could be culture, people, fundraising, basically anything we would disclose to an employee or to the public, we will disclose. And again, that's just meant so that we're, we're coming from a place of transparency. We're coming from a place of rigor, and, and we want people to be e- uh, equally passionate as we are, and we want people to be equally bought in. And I think one of the best ways to do that is to give them the opportunity to ask questions, because every time you, you answer a question, both you understand what they're thinking about, right? If they're asking about money, then they're probably thinking about money. But if they're asking about, like, what are the type of projects you're working on here, then that's a totally different engineer. That's an engineer that's looking to see if they're going to be passionate here. And then it also gives us a chance to to represent the company and give a response that uh, hopefully encourages them to work with us. Let's switch to scalability then. So did you build this to scale efficiently from day one, or are you fighting this as you grow? Uh, we only hire senior engineers. Uh, up until I think maybe like four months ago, we've only hired senior engineers. So everything has been built to scale from day one. Now, that doesn't mean that what we built actually could scale, but we built it thinking that it would scale. Now, at this point, we are definitely hitting some, some I wouldn't say scalability issues, but we are spending quite a bit of time reinvesting in our stack to, to continue to handle the, the scale that we're dealing at. Like, 
I think we're at right now something like 850 million uh, secrets delivered to a customer's application per month. So every single month it resets and, and we're at like 850 now, 850 million now. So it's like we're getting to quite big numbers. And also the complexity is growing quite a bit. Customers have more and more interesting demands, or not demands, but requests um, that, that we're trying to fulfill. And that increases the complexity and scope of uh, the platform. We're definitely not, it's not like everything's hair on fire, but it is definitely, there's active work going in and making sure we can continue to scale uh, to keep up with demand. Well, Brian, as you step out on the balcony and you look across all that you've built, what are you most proud of? If you asked me a year ago, I would have said a product that customers really love. But I think that's changed recently. Um, There was a very magical moment that happened where I was on the Doppler product and there was a feature I didn't recognize at all, and I loved it. I like I was like super excited that it existed, but I had no idea it was even built. And it was just this moment of like, holy crap! Our product team, our design team, our engineering team, our marketing team are all working together without me even in the loop. Um, now, obviously, that the product uh, or the feature that was built was aligned with their long-term goals, but it, but I wasn't in the loop. It was like the company was humming. It was like it was doing what it's supposed to do. And that was a very magical moment for me. And so I think what I'm most proud of right now is we built a company that can operate without me being low level, without me caring about each or not caring, but but focusing on each individual task. Instead, I now get the opportunity to, to focus more at the strategic and high level. What do we want to accomplish over the next couple of years? What are the key hires that we're trying to make? How do we make sure teams continue to work cross-functionally with each other? Those kind of things versus making sure this button is the right color or one pixel off or something like that. And so that's what I'm really proud of right now. One of our investors said this, and I really love it. It was um, the job of a CEO is to build the machine that builds the machine that builds the product. And we are really good at building the product. And we are really, really good at building the machine that builds the product. And now I get to focus on, I think, one of the funnest parts, which is building the machine that builds the machine that builds the product. At every step that we take forward, I get more and more proud of it. Let's flip the script a little bit. Tell me about a mistake you made and how you and your team responded to it. There's been lots of mistakes we've made. I think that the one that I I truly think that was a big mess up was a mistake I made. At the time, we didn't have any marketing at all. We were looking to build out our marketing functions. And I really hated the the name marketing. I felt like it it sounded old school. I was looking around and I heard this term called growth. I was like, okay, we're going to call our team the growth team. And we went and we hired a head of growth. I didn't really realize till about eight months in that growth actually has a very specific meaning. It's like SEO, advertising. It has nothing to do with product marketing at all and telling a really good story or, or hearing the pain points of customers and showing how our, our solution can solve that. It's, it's, it's all about take a landing page and basically put as much eyeballs on it through SEO or advertising or sponsorship or something like that. At the time, we didn't have really good product uh, product marketing. I still think actually to this day, it's one of our weakest spots. We need to get way better at product marketing. Um, but we basically built out an entire team of like three people that are all growth marketers. And I realized like halfway in, I'm like, wait, we're not doing any product marketing. We're not telling any stories. And like stories are the things that convince people to use it. Like people aren't using Doppler because the name is cool. They're using it because they have a real problem and, and Doppler comes in and is that solution. And that's a story that we need to tell. So we, we ended up 
uh, letting go or head of growth. Um, and some people under him left as well. And we've slowly rebuilt the, the marketing team. We re-labeled uh, the, the team from growth to marketing to what it really is. And now we think about it a little bit more holistically where we have growth marketers and we have product marketers and uh, they serve very specific functions in the company. But that, that was definitely an evolution there that, uh, that we're still working with on or still working on today. Um, but that was a mistake made a year ago that's still impacting us today. So what does the future look like for Doppler, the product, and for your team? On the product level, I think you'll see a couple things. One, Doppler will start to emerge as the de facto tool for managing secrets, just like GitHub is the de facto tool, de facto tool for managing code. I kind of think about a platform as having ins and outs, secrets entering Doppler, secrets exiting exiting Doppler. And so on the ins, you'll start to see more places where you can actually push secrets into Doppler. So you may be on some website. I'm just going to give an example. So let's just say you're on Segment's website and Segment has an API key. Next to that copy button, there may be an import to Doppler button and you click that button and a secret will get pushed directly into Doppler. And then on the other side, we'll have more integrations where we can push those secrets directly into your cloud. So right now we have, I think, like 20 integrations, something along those lines with like AWS, GCP, Vercel, Nelfi, and so on. But more clouds are emerging, like Fly.io that we don't have an integration with or adding a first-class integration with Cloudflare Pages or Cloudflare Workers. So we'll start to see more outs or what we call destinations. So I think that's one really big area where we're really becoming a platform. And by doing so, we make everyone that, that integrates and partners with us better. You'll also start to see, not on a product level, but more on a, a marketing and education level, that secrets management as a concept will become, and, and secret ops, which kind of like how there's GitOps, there's secret ops, those concepts will become added to the curriculum for boot camps. Let's say you're at Lambda School or GitHub actually has a, a student course that teaches you how to code and deploy. There'll be another step, which is how to manage your secrets as well. So you'll learn how to manage your code, you'll learn how to deploy your code, and you'll learn how to manage your secrets all in one platform. And then on the team side, we're going to be growing our team. We're actually still finalizing what the headcount will look like for uh, 2022 and 2023. But I would say at least uh, a safe bet is at least a 2x increase because we have a lot of really, really interesting problems like dynamic secrets, secrets rotation, where we're automatically generating secrets on the fly that expire. Um, and there's also a lot of encryption work we're doing right now, um, especially around our tokenization services. So if there are developers out there that get really excited about hard problems uh, and building for other developers, um, uh, I'd, love, I'd love to chat. Brian, let's switch to you. Who influences the way that you work? Name a CEO, CTO, architect, really any person that you look up to and why. I think there are a couple of them for actually different areas of focus. I think one, and this is going to sound really corny, but I actually like firmly believe it. Our CTO, Tom, actually, he is a very regimented thinker and he comes from very first principles. And I'm sometimes I would say on the opposite side of that, of like uh, kind of like what you typical, typically expect of a CEO, like uh, thinking about flashy ideas and they have real substance, but I'm like thinking, uh, thinking fast and, and pitching big ideas. And, and then he comes from the other side of let's, let's go from first principles. Working with him on a daily basis, I think honestly makes me a better thinker. Outside of Doppler, um, which is I'm sure what more people care about. I think there are, there are a couple. There's Jeff Queezer from Box. He was a founder and VP of Engine at Box, and he's an incredibly good thinker on a variety of topics from how to build out an engineering team, how to build out um, the right culture in that team, how to think about uh, people operations, how to think about uh, solving really hard technical problems. 
because like part of our product is like solving really hard technical problems in a way that makes it easy for the customer to, to use. So we solve a problem and then we basically abstract away the pain with a product. Um, and thinking about it in that lens is, is actually quite hard to do. We're, we're making something that's hard, but also very usable. Um, and I, he's really good at that. And I spend a lot of time, I, I probably talk with him once every two weeks. I'm a big fan of Elon most months. I'm sure when he tweets something on Twitter, I, I disengage, but he's someone who keeps pushing the, the line. I'm here building a secrets manager and he's putting rockets into space. Like, and, and this guy is like loaded to hell and back. Like he, he has so much money and he just continue and, and he's like, I don't even care about the money. I'm doing it because I'm trying to save the world. And his, and I'm sure in his eyes, that's how he thinks about it. And that's incredibly awesome. Like I'm sure once, if I ever get that, that rich, I'm, I'm not going to stop. I'm going to continue doing crazier and crazier things like he is. It's like an entrepreneur's entrepreneur, if that makes sense. Like he, he is the, like, he's like the crazy standard. He's gotten to a point where like, he doesn't have to care what other people think uh, about him. He can just do what he wants to do. And I think that's really powerful. Um, obviously with measure, like you don't want to do something illegal or, or like too crazy. That's, that's crazy offensive, but overall he's doing the right things for humanity. And he also has some like really cool, in interesting practices that are really like, uh, like there's a, a rule of Tesla and SpaceX where like, if you're not finding value out of a meeting, leave the meeting, don't waste your time. And that's really powerful. Like if I'm leading a meeting and there's some engineer that's in the meeting and they are not finding value, they should just leave that meeting and go, regardless of if I'm leading the, uh, the meeting or someone else's. And I think that's crazy powerful. It's like really protect your time. He also has this really good quote that I like. I'm probably going to bastardize it, but it's something along the lines of like uh, his job at the company is to align and maximize the vector sum of the, of the people that work there. So if you think about everyone as kind of like a vector, getting everyone pointing in the right direction, and then so like they're rowing in the same direction, and then increasing their velocity. That is really cool way of thinking about a company. And he kind of has just like these mathematical ways of thinking about companies that I really like. And it's like, oh, yeah, they're actually kind of just like equations a little bit. And, and if you think about it in that way, things become a little bit more obvious when sometimes like running a company is not obvious. The day to day, you make a decision and then you'll find out a year later, kind of like my head of growth versus head of marketing uh, decision. Like a year later, I found out that was a problem or eight months later. Um, and so some of the, sometimes these things kind of just be like distilled to really simple principles. You know, we talked about a mistake, right? But a little bit different spin. If you could go back to the beginning, what would you do differently? Or where would you consider taking a different approach? Those kind of things are hard because you make a different approach. You may not have the same product. And maybe it sounds good at back, in the, like back in time. But those struggles that we went through actually made us good now. I wish I did more market research. Back in the day, um, the question was really, could we build it? And I think that's a bad question to ask because you can build almost anything now. I think the right question is, are we building something that people actually genuinely want? Because I was really building this for myself and, and I was hearing a problem in the market and, and adjusting to it, but I was really building it for myself. And I think the better question should have been something along the lines of, is this a really deep pain point that people genuinely care about? And I think we got lucky and that's a yes. Is the way that I'm building it going to solve their problems specifically? And is it appealing to them? Is this solution appealing to them? So now the third one, which is like, can we monetize this? Um, we're not a charity. We're here to generate revenue. There's lots of different ways you can generate revenue. You can do a seated model. You can do a usage-based model and, 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 and figure out which model will actually maximize revenue. Because believe it or not, the easier, the more revenue you have, the easier the company gets because there's a lot of things you can do once you have revenue. If you want to see a prime example of that, go look at, at OpenSea. They generated a ton of money in just a, like four months. Uh, and that is going to afford them a whole bunch of freedom that most companies, including mine, won't get for a long while. Those are the three things I think I should have thought about before I even asked the question, can I build this? 
Well, last question, Brian. So you're getting on a plane and you're sitting next to a young entrepreneur that's built the next big thing. They're jazzed about it. They can't wait to show it off to the world. Can't wait to show it off to you right there on the plane. What advice do you give that person having gone down this road a bit? Focus as much about your culture and your company as you do on the product. Kind of like the, the saying, like, the CEO's job is to build a machine that builds a machine that builds a product. This happened to me, and I know a lot of founders that, that this happened to, where they get so fixated on building the, the product at all costs that they, for, they lose sight that there's actually a group of people that are kind of banded together to build this product. And then there needs to be another layer on top of that. And so just don't lose sight that your end goal, the end product you're actually building as a founder is not the thing that users use. It's the company itself. The company is your product that you're basically building and, 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 and scaling. Um, and so don't lose sight of that. That's fantastic advice. Well, Brian, thank you for being on the show today. Thank you for telling the creation story of Doppler. Yeah, of course. Thank you so much for having me. And this concludes another chapter of Code Story. Code Story is hosted and produced by Noah Laphart. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or the podcasting app of your choice. Support the show on patreon.com slash code story for just five to ten bucks a month. And when you get a chance, leave us a review. Both things help us out tremendously. And thanks again for listening. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors, and add blocks. No custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise. And with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step -step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI-powered help bot, our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. That's bluehost.com slash wondersuite.